Hello, my name is Anne Duggan. I've been interested in the housing and care of aging people since my childhood. My several careers were different in scope, but similar in the belief that aging is a natural process. Applying the philosophy of person-centered care will create a safe, socially connected, and comforting environment for healthy aging. This podcast is where I have conversations with my friend Ria about our life stories, some practical knowledge about aging, and some thoughts on caregiving relationships. Hello and welcome. My name is Jie Zhang, Anne's friend. I am a professor of service management and a lifelong student of service design and delivery for aging people. And this is our conversation. To commemorate our reaching the fifth episode, Anne and I went on a little journey back in time. We visited the 1960s when Anne worked and played hard in New York City. It was a time of intense learning, folk music, rebellions big and small, and changes experienced with cherished friends. Enjoy. Hello, Anne. How are you today? Well, I'm very well and very happy. It's a wonderful summer day here. Yeah, isn't it? It's very, very beautiful lately. We have we are so fortunate in the beautiful British Columbia. That's right. <laughs> and we're on our episode five now. It's a it's a milestone. It certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> I think we started what in in January of this year, January 2021, and started talking and. Well, I think. Yes, I think it was. And we've talked a lot with each other. And out of that, you've been able to form some actual castings, which is very interesting to me because I just, you ask me questions and I just talk with you. <laughs> Here we are, it's turning into a proper episodes. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. We're having fun. That's the most important thing. That's right. So the fifth episode, we can maybe change things up a little bit. Maybe talk about time that you and had met interesting people and enjoyed lots of interesting events. And maybe you can share with us, just have a little stroll down the memory lane. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> I'd like to. I would love to ask you about your time in New York City when you went there and that dean just gave you the key and say, my Cuba students just left and, and move in. <laughs> well, mostly I look at my life in decades. And, and the decade I spent in New York was a major event, I guess, a 10-year-long event in my life because it was, uh, I had come from Victoria as a nice, quiet young lady and uh, directly into the middle of Manhattan. So uh, the physical shock, uh, the social shock and all of those things um, were took a little bit of time to adjust to, but what it created for me was the most interesting time of my life because of the people I met and the people I worked with and became friends with and all of the things there are to do as a young woman in New York, um, it was uh, really 
I, I refer to it as the most fun time, but it was also exhausting in many ways because I had to do a lot of things every day to keep up with everything I wanted to do. So it was a busy time, but a learning time as well. Tell us a little bit about a fun time first. What kind of fun <laughs> did you have? Well, I was fortunate enough right near the beginning of my time there to make friends um, with people I was working with at a, one of the rehab hospitals. And they were a part of uh, two groups that interested me. One, they were all very involved in the music of that time, uh, mostly in um, the more of the folk and folk rock and all of that that was going on. Um, and they were also all very involved in the civil rights movement. So those two things introduced me to really uh, entire ways of life mm -hmm. in that the music part really excited me and they included me in all their, uh, what they were doing. And uh, I was able to meet a lot of the musicians, uh, professional musicians in their lives and just spend time with them just as regular folks. So that was a huge highlight. Mm -hmm. uh, I also should mention that was a sort of contemporary thing. At the same time, I had met families of some of my patients that I looked after who were incredibly generous and good to me, wanted me to learn all about what goes on in New York. And those people introduced me to a totally different type of life that they had, which was what I would now call sort of a high, high society. And they were all members of the followers of the Metropolitan uh, Opera. And they took me to all the big operas um, through the year and they owned a box so we had a great you know we could sit in a box seat at the at the mat and watch the opera and then go backstage and meet the performers and so it was those th things that would be so different than anything I had ever done mm. in my life prior to that so between those extremes of music and uh, art and so on I also knew a lot of artists um, it, that part of my cultural life was really satisfied there. Mm -hmm. I still miss that part sometimes because it was constant. And uh, so that was, that was good for me. Yeah. And um, we mentioned the other sort of line that was going on at the same time was I did become extremely involved in the civil rights movement, mainly because most of my friends were in the black community and other communities that were fighting for equality. And so I was able to meet um, some of the real organizers and uh, leaders uh -huh. in all of that. And uh, they were personal friends of people I knew then. And so it also uh, left a huge mark in my life mm -hmm. that uh, I see now, of course, with everything that's going on in Canada right now, parts of it repeating itself, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so this isn't new what we're going through here. It's just as just as sad to see people not being treated properly. But uh, it's, um, I can study it more clearly now with a little more objectivity, I think, than in those days. It was pretty emotional times. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, experience has given you the lens to be able to、right. to see the pattern. That's right. Who's the the most famous folk rock、uh, representative? And <laughs> well, the one the person that always comes to my mind, and I didn't really know him well personally, but he was the best friends of my friends was Bob Dylan, and I was fortunate to know a lot about him. It was just at the time when he was starting. To be recognized, and he had just gone through the process of changing his name from Robert Zimmerman to Bob Dylan.、Oh. My, he hung out at the home of my best friends. So when I used to go to the refrigerator in that house, because we were just like old people who just dropped in on each other all the time, and I would go to the fridge, and there were always two bowls in their fridge. Of tapioca pudding because somehow they discovered early on that I loved tapioca pudding, but so did Bob Dylan. It was his favorite. So there were always two bowls in their fridge, and one said Annie and one said Bobby. And、uh, sometimes、um, he was there or, or trying out songs on his friends and stuff like that. So yeah, that that was certainly a highlight. And now when I hear you know hear about him and what he's been doing all these years and And、um, some t- someone just sent me a whole、uh, review of of one of his albums recently, and I thought, my goodness, he he was such a poet of the day, you know,、mm. had an unusual voice, but that didn't seem unusual to us. It was just the wording of his songs was so extraordinary, and I was a constant.、Uh, Attendant at,、uh, at Gertie's Folk City in in the village, and、uh, during the time I lived in maybe five different parts of Manhattan, and for two or three years I lived right in the village and could just walk over to Gertie's any time. And there was always some really well known person playing, or you know whatever. But it was just like a big family of people. It wasn't at all formalized. It was just.、Uh, Place to go and hang out. It was wonderful. And as you're you're talking about that, I, I feel so envious. <laughs> after after fifteen eighteen months of of staying at home during this pandemic, I, I don't know when we can go to Gertie's or its, its current version to enjoy songs with others and friends. No, no.、Um, but yeah, well, thank you so much for bringing up、uh, Bob Dylan. I think. One of the songs that we talked about in the past was this "Blowing in the Wind." Oh, right, right. And the lyrics. I'm just gonna read it here. How many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? And how many times can a man turn his head and pretend that he just doesn't see? I think some of those words still very much resonate today. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, because. It's all been going on. All of the unfairness and inequality in the world has been going on in different forms for many hundreds of years.、Mm-hmm. But、um, in that decade of the '60s and and the, and the, whatever's going on today, there's a lot of similarities, and people shouldn't really feel, I think, quite as surprised as we have here in Canada this week to learn about the Indigenous children's deaths because really. Underneath everything, we really knew something like that has been happening.、Mm. But 
this has brought it to the surface. Yeah. And so it's good for us. And we wonder, Mike, how long was it going to take us before we recognize this? And, and this time, can we do something about it? Absolutely. For me, this is the second round of this kind of thing that have, are very clear in my life. You know, I was very young in the last round and very old this time. Uh, but th- so I have much more op- objectivity about it now uh, and I can see it so clearly and Bob was able to capture when he was writing his lyrics he no matter what song it was he could always capture the feeling of the day and the the, you know the sort of human behavior that was going on at the time every one of his songs you know maybe what happened in the 60s will give us some optimism we can still change the world and once we acknowledge what happened and then we can take actions appropriate actions so i want to switch gear a little bit about your work because it's not just fun Mm -hmm. you were there actually uh, as a young working woman (laughs) worked very hard i was working working full-time and playing full-time so it was exhausting yes i um always had good jobs and uh, luckily a lot of different kinds of places and different kinds of hospitals and as you know I, I pretty well chose where I wanted to work and what I wanted to do there it was one never had to wait to find a new kind of job if you wanted to and um, so I did a lot of that and I was always at the same time all the years I was there I think I always was going to, to university. I never achieved a degree because I really wasn't in the pursuit of a degree, but um, I, all, I went to different schools um, because I recognized that I could write for scholarship and scholarship would pay my fees. So I don't think I ever paid any money to go to school um, at university in New York because I always got enough mm-hmm. uh, by writing chess and I changed around to different colleges and different universities to pursue different things one of the things I was seriously working towards but slowly was I was fascinated by linguistics and I wanted a degree in linguistics so I had to start sort of right at the beginning of that and uh, so I went went to mm-hmm. different schools for that but yes and that's a you know, that was where I met so many different people, diff- taking different courses, different universities. And I ended up, I guess, the last maybe three or f- three years, three and a half years there, I was constantly at New York University in the village. And it was my, it was kind of became to me my home school. I just mm-hmm. loved it there. So, and all the people I met are very clear to me still in my memory. Well, and you know, you're the best kind of student because you're in it for the knowledge. That's right. <laughs> I sure was. <laughs> you not just go there to get a degree and check it off. No, you, you want to learn. That, that's why people will pay you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> when I was at um, NYU, one of my professors asked me to write some exams for my future education, and it was extraordinary. There were about 10 of us in a room. We actually wrote all day for two days. 
And even if we wanted to go to the washroom, somebody had to come with us. And then it was very, very intense for two days. And then they called me back for an interview. I was offered full scholarship right through my, right through my doctorate. If I would stay and do that, because it turned out I was in a very high um, mm-hmm. percentile um, and they didn't realize I was an American and they offered me this. I was so stunned. I couldn't believe it. But all my costs of everything, if I would stay and do that and uh, so, but they needed some information about my, when I told them I uh, was from Canada and so on, then they had to kind of change that and look for ways they could offer me that. And uh, my mother was unable to provide the information we needed about <clears throat> my father's military background. And so I just said, thanks, but no thanks. I can't do it right now. I didn't want to upset my family by causing a big thing with them having to dig up information Mm -hmm. they'd forgotten. Um, So I let that go past, but it was a real honor and they were wonderful to me. They Mm -hmm. really couldn't have been more inviting, (laughs) but I just couldn't do it. And I didn't really want to say, I don't know what my doctorate would be in because I don't really know what I want to do. (laughs) But you showed enough promise, right? They they recognize your talent and your ability to to figure it out in the doctoral program. Wow, it's quite a recognition. Yeah, it was very nice. And, you know, just another of those highlights that used to happen. I don't know if I just was offered so much when I was there all the time. It was it was a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. How about your work at uh, at hospitals? I always loved what I did. And I changed around to look at different things. And I would change hospitals, because I always like to, to look at what the trends are and the trends in medicine were changing a lot and um, they were changing from what I had learned as a student nurse. What I couldn't get over was the number of people who were being kept alive for much, much longer than I would have ever remembered when normally something would have happened and they would have expired and you know in their 60s or 70s or something they were living on for a very long time and so I had changed from my interest in medical nursing to see why all these people were turning into chronic patients and what I what what the answer for me was that was that um, all the medical military were coming home from Vietnam and and uh, they were used to saving everybody at any cost. Oh. And so when I ran an ICU, I was stunned by what they would do. They would literally pull the mattress off the bed on the floor, jump on the chest of the person and do chest um, compressions and emergency work at somewhere where I would observe that was a person and in my previous life as a nurse would have been left to die because they were obviously dying but then their life was extended and then they would become a chronic disease patient and that was very noticeable to me oh that was an interesting very interesting observation because i i guess the 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 military doctors they have very different patients right their patients are much younger able-bodied 
they were coming from the war field, you know, and, and where where 20 year olds were being terribly seriously injured and, and they saved, I mean, their intent was to save everybody and save them and get them home safely and all that. So they didn't change their way of doing doing their business, but it was just a different clientele they had. And uh, I think it made a substantial change in um, a lot of the care of uh, older people and in, and uh, disabled people and all of that. There was a lot more attention given to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I saw a lot of very dramatic uh, st- practice of that sort. So there were things to adjust to all the time. Interesting. You you also mentioned uh, other than the the general uh, yeah. philosophy of of medicine, but something more obvious that changed during your years as as nurse in in New York City. You said something about the the uniforms that you you used to wear and. <laughs> I think that was the year that the uniforms for every nurse in the world changed. Um, we used to wear um, starch bibs and aprons and white uniforms and white shoes and white nylons and our cap from our nursing school on our head. And because everybody I knew on every subject was always saying, well, why did we always do it this way? Why don't we do it another way now? And so some of us really started to get involved in changing how the traditions um, and the requirements of history to wear certain clothes and so on. And it was like a little mini rebellion. lot of the hospitals and uh, by the end of the decade there uh, we weren't wearing starch bibs and aprons anymore we were wearing not as casual as they are today but still uh, a little more casual clothing and uh, one of the particular problems at Lenox Hill where I was working the last year or two I was there was we read a led a rebellion against wearing our hospital caps, which because for a lot of people at that time, they were wearing their hair in big Afro cuts and everything. And then we had to stick caps on top of that. And we didn't like them bouncing around on our head. We just decided that it was an unnecessary part of our routine. And uh, by uh, they actually were stopped. Um, uh, just around that time. So yeah, that that was another thing. I mean, that was deeply cultural mm-hmm. because that had been going on forever, as far as I know, in nursing that we dressed all over the world. We dressed a certain way and and uh, so on, but uh, you don't see that any anywhere and you haven't seen, certainly since the early 70s, I haven't seen a uniform like that. Mm-hmm. So that rebellion is mostly for function. Well, a lot of a lot of it was because um, we were also very active. Uh, see, we could do more as nurses. Uh, the intensive care unit, as an example, because that's what I was really familiar with. I was head nurse there. We were very involved in the um, emergency 
work of uh, life support and so on. So we didn't want to be encumbered by um, oh. all this dark right. our cats were in the way. I always, we always felt we were, you know, if you're doing chest compressions and, and all of those things all the time, um, our caps are bouncing and we just felt we weren't it wasn't as clean as it should be mm -hmm. although my goodness we never had infections I might say in those hospitals so it was clean but yeah it just inter we just felt our uniforms were were just encumbering us in, in doing our jobs efficiently and we won that argument in the end it wasn't just that hospital it was just everybody I knew who worked um, as a nurse uh, at that time, we were all going through the same wars. And uh, I'm not sure that it, it certainly any improvement. It, and I still am of the opinion, um, the patients don't like it anymore. They loved it when we all looked like what they call you look like nurses. <laughs> well, we did. <laughs> and, uh, they knew who we were rather than who the other staff were. But uh, those things weren't terribly important to us at that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We started today's conversation with music. Were you able to bring music into your work? When I worked in the long-term and rehab hospitals, nurses would often, this is actually hard to believe now, um, we'd actually be singing as we were working just to keep, because a lot of the hospitals there that I worked in rehab were big wards of maybe 30 or 40 people in a huge ward and there were just exposed beds there wasn't much privacy or anything for anybody but if when we'd go in in the afternoon say to do exercises and stuff we quite often just sang our way through the afternoon just to make everybody feel a little bit more involved and uh, when i was um, in intensive care uh, we had to report of course uh, at the end of every shift of exactly what had happened to every client. We had 12 people in that intensive care unit at a time. I had to do a detailed report to the supervisor every morning before we went off duty. And one night we weren't very busy and somebody said, well, let's just write a poem or let's just do our report as a song and so instead of because we we should just get tired of doing the same stuff so we just made up a song about every single person and what had happened to them through the night and then when, when we had to report to the supervisor in the morning and all stand there in front of her and give our report we just broke into our little song and i can't i'll never forget the look on her face as long as i live she just she couldn't believe that that was actually happening. We were quite proud of it, actually. It's quite good. Uh huh. <laughs> Sometimes things were just too intense <laughs> for us, I think. And we were such a good, tight group of people. Wow. And, uh, we used to have fun with things like that. And sometimes I know that we were still, still supposed to wear, well, we were required to still wear a white. And nylon stockings and uh, one of and most of us were always broke or didn't have something or hadn't done our laundry or something and one of my friends used to paint her legs with white <laughs> uh, liquid white shoe polish. Did it work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those kind of, I'm, I'm sure people still do all those silly things. It's just that it was 
it, it was such a, I'm trying to think what it would be. It was mm -hmm. such a contrast, I guess, to what we were supposed to be doing. <laughs> and what, what we, we were extremely efficient at our jobs. It was an excellent level of care, everybody, and everybody knew it. But we did, we created a lot of fun to make it happen, I guess, is what the difference is. There are elements about efficiency, about sticking to the rules and do the best you can. But then you need to balance it a little bit with, right. with that song that you <laughs> created. That's probably the only ICU report song out there. <laughs> and this is such an interesting, interesting trip. <laughs> oh, it was fun. Yeah. Well, maybe we will revisit some other aspects of your New York City life some other time. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.